Uh, let's pick up where Dennis left off. Jesus had just taken off off the Mount of Olives. He told his disciples he ascended into heaven. He had risen. He had um, appeared to his apostles and disciples numerous times over a period of 40 days. He appeared to Peter. He appeared to the women. He appeared to all the disciples one time minus Thomas. He appeared to all of them with Thomas. He appeared to his brother James. He appeared not only just to say hi, but he actually came and, and, and taught them. He gave them instructions. Um, and then he was taken up in front of their eyes, and he went up, and they stood there looking in the clouds. You remember Dennis saying this, and some angels said, what are you guys looking at? You know, Jesus is coming back. Move along. So here's where we pick it up. I'm going to read this real quick. I think it's important for us to get the whole scripture passage in our minds. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called that field in their language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and... May another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Bersabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the eleven apostles. So here they are. The apostles returned to Jerusalem. Because Jesus said, go back to Jerusalem. In fact, he said in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard of me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So they were obedient and just went back to Jerusalem 
They're staying in Jerusalem. It's, it's over a month after the Passover. Everybody else has gone back home. The city is down to its own residence. There's no overflow of, you know, hundreds of thousands of Jews there to celebrate the Passover. They've already gone. Um, when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. They went upstairs. A room, upstairs, upper room is basically a room added onto the top of a, a flat-roofed house, and that was usually rented out to people who were visiting, uh, foreigners, whatever. Um, so we get a picture that the apostles, they're the only ones who returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, the scripture tells us. It wasn't the whole big group of disciples. So they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. It's 12 guys living in this room. It's probably better that it's just the 12 guys instead of the 120. Could you imagine all the people in this room living in one room? And that wouldn't be a good thing. So they went up uh, obediently to Jerusalem, and Jesus told them to do what? Go back to... Yes, thank you. <laughs> do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised. It reminds me of another passage from Scripture when Jesus had just risen and he appeared to the women. And he says, Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Okay, there's not a lot of information there, Jesus. We go to Galilee. Now what do we do? At that point, Tom, uh, Peter said... I'm going fishing. Let's go fishing. So they all went fishing. And then Jesus appeared to them. I guess there was a little bit of freedom with what they could do. When Jesus gave them a command to, to go and be somewhere, he didn't, it didn't seem to be uh, a lot of specific information there. <clears throat> so those who, did, who were living there were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, the eleven, since Judas Iscariot had committed apostasy, turned away from the Lord Jesus, and then killed him. So they joined together constantly in prayer. What do you think constantly means? Who can give me an idea of what you think constantly means? Once a week? Every other day? What's constantly for you? I mean... So 24 hours a day? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what it means either. I was hoping you were wiser than I was. but uh, so They joined together constantly in prayer. So it wasn't them being by themselves praying. They were, as a, as a, a body of believers, they were praying constantly. It doesn't tell us what they're praying about. We can suppose a lot through this whole passage of Scripture. I suppose maybe this could have been, or I think this means that, but if we read it for just what it is, some of those things are, I believe, are taken care of. But they all joined together constantly in prayer. They were promised by Jesus that they would receive the Holy Spirit and power in a few days, it said, in uh, chapter four, uh, verse 4. So they were there waiting patiently. I assume, because I don't know, that they were praying for God's Holy Spirit to come and that they would make themselves ready, you know, praising God and just thanking him that, you know, they, 
they have been lifted out of the depths of despair and and now they have this this mission that they're going to be given they're praying for his blessing and for his strength i can only imagine that those are the things now who did they join with who were the other disciples um scripture later on says there's 120 of them roughly um Can you think of any people who were Christians during that time besides the ones that are listed here? Mary, the mother of Jesus. Who's that? Okay, yeah, he's one of the disciples, yep. Anybody from a story during any of the Gospels do you think might have stuck around? There was a wee little man. You remember that guy? Do you think maybe he was there? Zacchaeus, do you think he showed up? I mean, his life turned around completely. Who are these 120 people? You think about these people in the story and you just delegate them to that story. And then, but they had a life. They, they accepted Christ. They, they knew he was the son of God and, and their life was changed. The guy who could walk, is he there? Or the guy, the, Jesus healed the, the, the blind. He gave sight to the deaf. He, he raised people. I assume Martha and Mary and Lazarus are there. We can actually picture who these people are that are surrounding the apostles here. So this, there's a lot in here that, that can be fleshed out and give us a, a fuller picture of what's going on here. There's not a whole lot going on here when you initially go through it, but... Through this study, Dennis has given me to continue this uh, series. Um, it's opened my eyes to a, a few things that I didn't know about. Anyways, um, so Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there, and Jesus' brothers. Jesus had appeared to his brother James at some point when he was um, still here, appearing on earth, but not ascended to heaven yet. And we got to assume that James, his brother, actually told his other brothers, and they all became believers. Now it says he called um, the Mount of Olives with a Sabbath day walk from the city. That doesn't mean that this happened on the Sabbath, because it didn't. If he was, if Jesus was showing himself for 40 days, 40 days from Easter Sunday would end up on a Thursday when he was taken up to heaven. So this is just a, a detail that a lot of the uh, commentaries pointed out. I don't know why, but so I'm pointing it out to you that it wasn't a Sabbath day. It was probably a Thursday. Um, and like I said, they were praying constantly. It was persevering prayer. Whatever else they had to do, they had to eat, they had to care for each other, but they, they spent most of the time praying. In those days, in those days, Peter stood up among the believers. Now, Peter had some ups and downs. If anybody wanted to kind of identify with Judas as a betrayer, it was probably Peter. He's the one who, who denied Jesus three times on the night that Jesus was arrested. But praise God, Jesus did appear to Peter. That time I told you he went fishing and everybody went with him and, he, and Jesus was on the shore and Jesus spoke to him and Jesus reinstated him three times asking him 
Simon, son of John, do you love me? And by those three times, Jesus reinstated him to cancel out the denials, the three denials that, Jesus, that Peter had made. So Peter, being reinstated, stood up among the believers. He is the spokesman. He is the bold one who, who takes the lead. Among the believers, this means all the disciples are there, 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be filled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. So the scripture had to be fulfilled. God was not surprised that Judas betrayed Jesus. It was part of his plan. It was in Scripture that the Messiah would be betrayed, given up, and killed. Although it was hidden to most um, who studied back then. And then then he goes on and says, he is one of our number and shared in our ministry. There's this is not just details. This is, this is somebody who spent three years with the, this person, living with him, living together. They're living with Jesus. They're, they're following Jesus together. They're living with him. They're eating with him. Um, they're listening to him. They're talking with him. They're laughing with him. They're crying with him. And he shared in our ministry, Peter said. He, he was one of those guys who went to towns and drove out demons he was one of those guys who, who went and um, witnessed to people and uh, told about the coming kingdom. He was even given the money bag, Judas I'm talking about. Judas was given the money bag. And we hear from John in the Gospel of John how he used to take his hand and use some of that money for himself. But the closeness that he had with the rest of them this is a painful moment, and Peter can understand that a little deeper maybe than others. And he shared in our ministry, not only is there a space empty, not only is there only 11 and not 12, but the ministry is now less than it was. Now, Luke, who is the writer of Acts, added this in parentheses as, as information for those who uh, were not Jews in Jerusalem at the time, who didn't know all this. And he goes on to describe the awful way that Judas died. With the payment he received for his wickedness, the payment is 30 pieces of silver that the Sanhedrin had given him to turn in Jesus. 30 pieces of silver, you may have heard that number other times in Scripture, it's the price of a slave that gets killed. So it's almost like a slur, a slander of, on Jesus. Yeah, we'll give you 30 pieces of silver for this, this slave. And that was money enough for, for Judas. He took the money for a, a dead slave. That's how they consider Jesus. So he took that payment, and after he realized that Jesus was going to be killed, he had remorse. 
I don't know if that means he actually believed Jesus was the Son of God, but he was sorry for what he did and threw the money into the, the temple. But it wasn't received. They picked up the, the chief priest picked up the money and said, we cannot accept this. It is blood money. Like, they weren't part of the whole deal. So that money was used to buy a field. So when it says Judas bought a field, since the money wasn't accepted at the temple, wherever it was spent, was, it was still Judas's money, and that bought the field. Now there are some traditions about how Judas died. They say he hung himself. They say he fell headlong. Um, what I believe, whatever that was, is that, yeah, he, he hung himself. And then he probably hung there for so long that his body started to go bad. And when it fell, he just splatted. That's pretty gross. (laughs) The fact that the Jews who were in Jerusalem at the time considered anybody who was hung on a tree or hung at all was cursed, they didn't need to hear this information. But Luke is writing to Theophilus, which is a Roman name, uh, somebody who, who isn't in, um, up to date on the Jewish traditions and the meanings of different things. So he, he spelled this out in a way, in a graphic way, to show how vile the death was, but also to show how vile the act was that Judas did. Um, there's a scripture in Acts chapter 12, it talks about Herod Agrippa I. I don't know if you know this. He, uh, he went and made a speech somewhere, and the people who heard him praised him. Oh, these aren't the words of a man. These are the words of a God. And he didn't give glory to God. And Scripture says, um, the angel of the Lord st- struck him, and worms ate him, <laughs> and he died. <laughs> That's the kind of picture that you get from Scripture. A death that is so horrific is is a judgment on the person. As Christians, it's not the kind of way we want to think about people. We don't want to be cursing them. I'm getting ahead of myself, so I'm going to stop. We'll get there. Uh, So also, the actions that he spent did, and what happened to him, all of that was heard throughout Jerusalem. All the Jews knew about it. Everyone was talking about it. They all knew that one of Jesus' followers betrayed him and died a horrific death. So much for that Jesus guy, right? And that's what this is all about when you get down to it. For Peter said, it is written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of worship. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but every time I read this, I'm like, okay, one says one thing, and then the other says another. What, what's the point of this? May his place be deserted, okay? Let there be no one to dwell in it. And then the other verse says, okay, someone's got to take his place. So which one is it? Does somebody take his place or not? So... Dennis gave me some good commentaries. Um, 
his place in the first verse, if you look at Psalm 69, which is pretty lengthy, I'm not going to read it all, so we're not going to do that. Um, it talks about the place where that person lives. It talks about his home, his family, his property. May his place be deserted. That means Peter is saying here, Scripture is saying, may all Judas has be destroyed. May it be gone. And let him have no place to, to dwell in. And he will be dwelling in another place where there is nothing. And then the second verse, which is from Psalm 109, may another take his place of leadership, speaks about a position of authority, a position of responsibility. Both of these psalms, Psalm 69 Psalm 109 are messianic psalms. If you want to look at those, I suggest you do when you have time. Just read through them and you see how different areas then are very applicable to Jesus' life. Not saying that every word in that psalm is something that Jesus was thinking or saying. They're, from, they're written by David. And, and the Holy Spirit used David's circumstances to bring out these words that the Holy Spirit would apply later to Jesus. They're called imprecatory psalms, which are psalms that really call down a curse on somebody. It's not something we want to do. We are, on an, we are in a new, under a new testament, under a new um, law, law of love. We are to pray for our enemies. We are not to curse them. But because it was written, it was Holy Spirit inspired, it is, it is scripture. So what do we do with that? What do we do with a psalm that calls out curses on somebody? Do we, do we use that to pray? Do I call down curses on somebody? No. These psalms are, are usable for us. They are a way for us to, to understand the pain, the emotional outcry that, that a person can have to God. Uh, we can understand the evilness of those who had turned against David, um, the wickedness of what they did, the unfaithfulness. And we can also realize that David was calling on God. He wasn't going to take matters into his own hands. He was asking the Lord to deal with his enemy. Those are things that we can take from this. We don't necessarily, we don't call curses upon anyone. But they are the inspired word of God and Peter brought them up. Peter felt led that these were speaking of Judas. Now, scripture also says that during the 40 days that Jesus was appearing to his disciples, he gave them instructions. Now, I got to think that somewhere during that, he mentioned the fact that, hey, there's only 11 of you apostles now. You know, that's going to have to change. Scripture doesn't say that, but the fact that Peter stood up and said this, Peter says, therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living amongst us. Beginning from John's baptism, 
to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. One of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Necessary and must are not Peter's to enforce. Necessary and must, I believe, are words that Jesus gave him. This is what you are to do. This is how you are to do it. Get it done. I don't believe Peter is rising above his position here and trying to do something just to fill time as they wait. So beginning from John's baptism. If you go to John's baptism of Jesus, that's not what he's talking about here. He's, he's using a time frame, sort of like a Sabbath day's journey from a Jesus, John's baptism. Jesus had no disciples when John baptized him. Peter hadn't been chosen. Andrew hadn't been chosen yet. So it's the time generally of when John was baptizing that person that they're going to choose had to be with them, following Jesus, living amongst them um, from that time to the time that he was taken up, which was just a few days before this statement. So the qualifications are here for the new apostle. The reason these qualifications are needed, are necessary, and should be applied is because the apostles' testimony basically had been crippled by Judas's betrayal of Jesus, by his um, selling out, by his apostasy. And the whole Jer- everybody in Jerusalem heard about it, knew about it. So in order to build back up their reputation as, as followers of Jesus, as apostles, as eyewitnesses, they needed somebody who could fill that role, not just somebody who heard about it and was positive that it was true, but somebody who actually saw Jesus, walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, watched him die, saw him alive again, and saw him ascended. So they get two guys that they can nominate. Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. I think God picked Matthias because Joseph had three names, and who's going to know how to call Joseph? Hey, uh, uh, Matthias would have been easier. But they they actually drew lots, or threw lots, cast lots, Different commentaries say when you do the lots, it's, it's either sticks or stones with a name written on it. You throw it into a jar, and you shake it out, and whichever stone comes out first, that's the one that is picked. So I assume it happens something like that. But it wasn't just the, the, ruck of, the luck of the draw, the roll of the dice type of thing. These people had been praying for days. That's all they've been doing, praying and praying, When you pray like that, the Spirit is there. He gives knowledge. He gives power. Their focus was intent. Their focus was on God's will because they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. We're not going to make the decision. You show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. 
So they cast the lots. They came out to Matthias, and he was added to the 11. There could be no hard feelings amongst the disciples. Oh, I wanted Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice. No, I wanted Matthias. No, there was none of that. They all believed God had made the, the choice. God had decided. And we may look and say, well, why didn't they just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it to them? Well, you know, Pentecost hadn't come. The power of the Holy Spirit hadn't come on them yet. There's scripture that says that Jesus actually spoke to them and breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I believe that they, they were believers in Jesus Christ at that time and received the Holy Spirit. Um, that's, that's something we heard in our Bible study we had about the Holy Spirit um, a couple months ago. That the, the teacher in that study said that Jesus took time with his apostles breathed on them and told them, receive the Holy Spirit. It wasn't, it wasn't a, just a statement to sound fancy and say it's going to come in the future, but he actually gave them the seal of the Holy Spirit. They were saved. But now they're still waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit, so there's no scripture written in the New Testament yet. These are the beginnings of the church. There's nobody, there's no scripture that can look up the rules of how a church functions. All they had was the Old Testament. And casting lots in the Old Testament was a very common and trusted thing to do. You only cast it once. You don't try to get the best two out of three. Uh, <laughs> but they're doing what they knew how to do. And I believe God blessed that. I had always looked at this, this activity, you know, them casting lots and thinking, Later on, we see that Paul is an apostle. Did they make a mistake? Did they jump the gun? Did they, they pick the wrong guy as the apostle? Because we know that in the, in the future kingdom, the 12 apostles will sit on 12 thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. There's not 13 thrones. And Paul calls himself an apostle but he calls himself an apostle. How does that go? Born, un unnaturally born, something like that. Is that correct? Something like that. Like, I'm an apostle not born the right way. I'm, I'm kind of separating himself. I'm born of a, a different kind of apostle. I'm not one of the 12, but I am an apostle to the Gentiles. And these are the 12 apostles who will be judging the 12 tribes of Israel in their future kingdom. So to me, that, that really helps clarify this, that they did the right thing. They, they cast the lots, trusting that God would give them decision. Um, they used scripture correctly, even though it's from a, a psalm that we don't really want to use um, for ourselves. Um, and Matthias was added to the 11. And now there are 12 apostles. There's a lot of teaching here. There's not a whole lot of preaching that I just did. Um, but I think it's important to, uh, to know Scripture, to understand it a little bit, the things that are kind of hidden in the background, that we can draw those out and get more of a, 
understanding of just this short segment of scripture that doesn't seem to be much except protect somebody else. Okay, but there's a lot more to it than that. But then knowing all that, it's a good thing, and understanding it is good, but applying it to ourselves is also important, maybe more important. So how do we apply this to us, this this section of Scripture? I believe that the things that we looked at in the story remind me a lot of Oasis, what's happening here. I believe that Jesus has, has told us to wait here for a while. I believe we're going about, we had been going about the uh, activity of organizing things. We didn't put a new apostle in place, but over the past few years, we've organized the church itself. We've set up ministry leaders and ministry functions. We set up um, policies and um, the system it, it functions well. We have things set up in that regard, and I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to be coming here, is coming here right now in power, that we're starting to see him working here. He's starting to move amongst people. He's starting to speak to people. Gifts are starting to be used that, that have been laid dormant for a while. And it's so exciting to me. Uh, it's, it's just really exciting. And I... Another thing we can take out of this is, is what they were doing. They were praying constantly. I believe they are praying for, bring, send your Holy Spirit, Lord. We want that. We need that power. And I think that is a prayer that we all should be praying. Send your Holy Spirit, Lord. Give us that power. We want to see that power here, not for us, but through us, that the world may know that Jesus is alive. His Spirit is alive. It is, he is strong. He is working. And also, they had to restore the reputation of the 12, of the apostles of Jesus Christ. His name was, was a little bit slandered by that, by Judas's action. And I believe our actions can slander the name of Jesus Christ. We have to uh, confess, we have to turn from the sins we have. We have to be reinstated each time <laughs> we turn to the Lord. Lord, I confess, I sinned. We are reinstated. We, not that we lose our salvation, but we lose the fellowship. We are reinstated. We need to be passionate about living as Jesus wants us to live because it's his reputation at stake. We are his body. We represent him in the world. And the world understands Jesus Christ by how we live. That's pretty heavy weight there. And unless we have the Holy Spirit's power, we're not going to be living the real life of Jesus Christ because that's what his life was. It was power. So as they prayed, why don't we pray now? They prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Let's just take that to the Lord right now and pray the same thing. Lord Jesus, you know everyone's heart. You know everyone in this room. Lord, if there are any here who 
have not taken that step of faith and, and accepted you as Lord and Savior, let it be today. Let it be now. Let them turn to their neighbor, a friend, someone, and say, I, I realize I am a sinner and I want to accept Jesus as, as my Savior, as payment for my sin. Lord, if you, you know everyone's heart here, those who have accepted you and are your children, I pray that you would, like Robin in her trip, to get closer to you, to open up her heart and life to you, to, to be available for you to use her. Help us all to do the same each day, to open our hearts to your spirit's leading. Help us to to have the power that the Holy Spirit wants to give us to, to live a life that pleases you, to shows you to the world. So, Lord, like that first group of believers, we're doing the same thing. We, we're, help us to pray constantly for your Spirit's power in our lives, that we would use the gifts you've given us in ways that we've never used them before, all for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.